welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Northern Miner Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Keevil, and as usual, we are brought to you by the Yukon Mining Alliance. Please do head over to yukonminingalliance.ca to check out all the exciting exploration and development activity going on in Canada's Yukon Territory. And this is episode 87 for the week of January 8th, and uh, we are getting ready to roll here. Uh, we got the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference coming up. We got Roundup, uh, AMEBC's Roundup coming up. It's getting busy. The phones are ringing off the hook. Uh, everyone seems to have an exciting project at this time of year that they cannot wait to share. So uh, we are uh, queuing them up and uh, knocking them down, so we'll get as many of these articles written as we can heading into conference season. Obviously, everyone knows PDAC's coming up in March as well. Uh, so the mining industry is rocking and rolling a little bit. I mean, we've seen uh, metal prices up a bit, uh, gold holding above $1,300, co- copper holding well above 3 bucks. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, it's a, a sort of cautious optimism, which is, is what we've been sort of talking about for like, I don't know, 18 months. It's like, we're cautiously optimistic, but you know, we don't know what's going to happen quite yet. But nevertheless, we've seen uh, a sort of increase in deal flow, I'd say. I've talked to a few uh, junior uh, mining executives recently who've mentioned that uh, the resource funds are back in the market. Uh, There's been a little bit of retail interest coming out of the U.S. and Europe, uh, but uh, the generalist interest is not quite there yet. Uh, And you may recall we caught to uh, BMO Managing Director of Commodities Research, Colin Hamilton, a couple weeks ago uh, leading into the Christmas break, and he said much the same thing, that uh, he was a little bit surprised that the generalist funds hadn't sort of looked towards mining quite yet, given the free cash flow um, profiles of some of these big mining companies and he expected that to change heading into 2018 and thus there was a bit of room for upside uh, in some of these metal stocks and uh, we we still haven't really seen that uh, movement yet Uh, but at the same time I'm also hearing from some junior analysts that it's getting a little bit difficult to find value out there Uh, some of these uh, stories have uh, a lot of value baked in based on potential discoveries and uh, you know somewhat recent results coming from later in 2017 Uh, but uh, we're still sort of on the cusp there of finding that next generation of really promising junior companies. Uh, But we have talked about commodities a lot heading into 2018 and uh, touched on a few of the really hot topics that uh, we hear out there in the market quite often. Obviously, we've discussed at length uh, the electric vehicles, the impact on lithium uh, and cobalt, which uh, is still hot as heck. Uh, We've seen a few notes come through on cobalt uh, talking about uh, a really bullish story there. Uh, And a few other things, actually, we're going to discuss that in this week's episode. I got a note uh, from Bank of Montreal on vanadium. Uh, which we'll talk a little bit about later in the show, and molybdenum. Molybdenum, the sexiest of all metals, uh, as I say. Or maybe that's iron ore. Iron ore, the sexiest. But molybdenum's close. It's 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 one of those metals uh, commonly thought of as a byproduct that uh, has a lot of latent capacity coming out of big base metal mines, copper, for instance. Uh, and uh, it, it doesn't take a lot for them to turn on the taps. But uh, right now, as it stands, we have seen uh, molybdenum pop up to around that $11, $11 per pound mark, which is like a three-year high, I think, or a four your high it hasn't been um, at these levels since I think around September 2014. So we'll talk a little bit about the, su- the supply-demand fundamental situation with molybdenum. Uh, I'll also touch on a research note about vanadium. And then uh, one other thing I want to talk about, I got a uh, question from a listener actually, on NAFTA in the NAFTA talks and uh, any potential impact on not just mining but natural resources generally in Canada, including oil and gas. Uh, and uh, lo and behold, BMO, uh, always keeping up with the times, I guess, reading my mind, uh, sent me a giant NAFTA note. So we'll talk a little bit about NAFTA, the NAFTA talks, 
uh, when the next set of negotiations are scheduled, uh, and some of the major issues uh, that are coming up between the U.S., Mexico, obviously, and Canada, uh, and uh, the other participants in the NAFTA, pro- NAFTA process. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about that and uh, some of the maybe economic impacts uh, and uh, tertiary in- industry impacts that uh, BMO expects could come uh, under a variety of um potential outcomes for the NAFTA talks, whether that's, uh, you know, a reimposition of old time tariff formulas or whether that's the dissolution of NAFTA altogether, bilateral agreements, etc. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about that as well later in the show. I also have some really good interviews this week. Uh, Leslie at the Geology Corner is uh, sitting down with cartoonist John Kilburn. Well, cartoonist, he's also a mining analyst and used to work for the Northern Miner. So a man of many talents. Uh, We recently released a book of John Kilburn, sort of an anthology or a collection of all his classic cartoons that uh, is actually a great collector's piece. If uh, you're involved in the industry and have history in the industry it's uh it's a must uh, browse it's a great uh, great little addition so leslie will talk to john a little bit later in the show uh sort of about uh his history uh in the mining industry what got him into cartoons and uh what makes him laugh about uh the industry which is is a good little conversation he's got some funny stories about uh some of the more uh <laughs> funny things that he's seen and how they lead into cartoons like what sort of generates his ideas uh so it's a really good one uh there uh and then this week on our sponsor spotlight uh we have anthony griffiths who is uh fleet electrification product manager from mclean's engineering uh, and obviously we're talking about fleet electrification so that's electric vehicles predominantly in underground mines uh anthony will talk a little bit about uh, how gold corp's driving this process at their board and development project uh, and how glencore has also got involved uh and sort of what the upside is vis-a-vis electrification and uh you know battery powered vehicles in mine and that's another cool segment from our progressive mine forum this uh past october in toronto uh we hope to do that one again we're also doing our canadian mine symposium in london again this year uh in late april so uh check out our website head over to northernminer.com as always please do consider subscribing it's a rockin' deal at about 200 bucks for your digital and paper subscription plus access to our canadian mines handbook uh, a compendium of mining properties worldwide uh but also you can find out uh, some details on our upcoming events including uh that canadian mine symposium in london which was a great event last year so good in fact we have extended it to two days this year very popular uh with uh, both the major and junior miners alike so do check that out on our website uh but uh as we move ahead here let's get right in to our news and notes for the week around the mining world Commodities were broadly down across the board today, with the exception of West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil, which jumped 2% to $262.95 per barrel at the time of recording. Meanwhile, gold dropped nearly half a percent to $1,314.50 per ounce, while silver was down nearly 1% at $17.02 per ounce. On the base metal side, copper was relatively flat at $3.22 per pound, while zinc dropped nearly 1.5% to $1.50. 53 cents per pound. Gold prices were headed downwards amid expectations for more U.S. interest rate hikes this year. Atlanta President Raphael Bostek, who is a voting member of the central bank's policy board, said on Monday that two hikes might be needed in 2018 in light of weak price pressures. Meanwhile, on the bulk commodity side, BMO Capital Markets notes that preliminary shipping data suggests the first week of the year was, quote, terrible for Brazilian iron ore shipments. BMO adds that with reduced throughput at Ponta de Madeira, Tubiero, and Intagli ports, exports look to have been down 50% week-on-week to the lowest level since December 2011. Furthermore, Australian throughput also fell sequentially, but not to the same extent. BMO concludes that lower throughput in the first week of a quarter is not a 
unusual given producers push hard to meet quarter end targets and then have to replenish the inventory chain, but the scale of drop in Brazil is certainly eye-catching. Now let's talk some molybdenum as promised, uh, which is receiving some institutional attention based on some tightening supply demand fundamentals. Uh, in fact, BMO raised its molybdenum price forecast to $10.75 per pound this year and $9.50 per pound in 2019. Uh, BMO explains that molybdenum is the most exposed metal to oil and gas through its use as a steel alloying element. Uh, it is benefiting from the free cash flow recovery in this sector. Moreover, BMO as with around 25% of global supply from Chinese primary molybdenum mines, the environmental clampdown on mine operations in China is limiting output. Uh, a rising molybdenum price, BMO adds, is of most benefit to those copper producers, as we mentioned at the onset of the show, who receive a byproduct credit for Mali, uh, thus reducing C1 costs. So as mentioned, Molly has jumped to that $11 per pound level, which is around a four, oh, well, three and a half year high at this point. Uh, the last time we saw Molly at these levels was around September 2014. Uh, BMO notes uh, the main cause is obviously the exposure to oil, gas, and petrochemical markets, uh, as well as China's environmental clampdown, uh, which is adding to potential supply dis- uh, restrictions. Uh, BMO does add, however, that the strength of Molly is not expected to last forever. Uh, the bank notes that even without China, there is potential elastic supply response. Uh, as we said uh, at the onset of the show, many copper miners are either not running or are under-utilizing their molybdenum circuits. Uh, and while $7 spot prices didn't encourage this to supply the market, BMO notes $10 uh, or above will probably have some of these molly taps turning back on. Uh, so BMO concludes that at these levels, potential restarts of primary mines outside of China become feasible. So uh, get get your molly deals done quick because uh, while we're hit up at that $11 per pound mark, uh, some of those copper producers might be chomping at the bit to turn back on their molly supply. So uh, that's a, the, the uh, sort of late breaking news on molybdenum, uh, if you're into that sort of thing. But I also promise you an update on vanadium, so let's dig into that right now. Uh, according to BMO Capital Markets, Chinese market assessments for vanadium pentoxide have jumped by over 20% already this year to $11.80 per pound, while those for ferro vanadium exports are up almost 10% to $49 per kilogram. Uh, BMO notes that this takes its prices back to levels seen after the last surge in July 2017. Oh yes, the infamous vanadium surge of July 2017. Um, this is all under by a uh, potential structural change coming in China. Uh, BMO notes that vanadium is used as a strengthening element for steel rebar, uh, and authorities in China have long been discussing increasing tensile strength standards for rebar in earthquake zones. So as with a lot of things coming out of China and uh, regulatory reform, they've been talking about it for a long time, but um, there have been reports that greater enforcement of existing regulations in terms of these rebar uh, standards is now taking place. Uh, so BMO says that uh, in particular, the practice of adding vanadium nitrate in lieu of ferro vanadium to reduce cost is being precluded. So you can't do this anymore. Uh, and this seems to be playing a role in the recent vanadium price gains. Um, as uh, noted, vanadium currently over 90% is used in the steel alloy industry. Uh, hence that sector is far and away the key driver of demand, BMO notes. Um, however, uh, we, you will hear talk and a little bit of buzz about vanadium redox flow batteries uh, and their potential role in the renewable and electric vehicle sectors. 
And BMO does note that uh, these vanadium redox flow batteries do look uh, sort of well-placed for growth in the energy storage sector given their, quote, semi-infinite cycling ability. Uh, should battery makers look to secure vanadium supply ahead of this, it could bolster demand expectations uh, further and force a scramble for supply. But right now, we're really talking about this steel alloy industry and, and uh, as well as uh, Chinese vanadium supply coming under pressure. Uh, so that's sort of the fundamentals that's driving uh, this 20% leap in vanadium pentoxide prices to start the year, uh, as well as a 10% jump in ferro-vanadium export prices. So uh, we're seeing a little bit of pressure coming out of China on the vanadium side. Uh, that's sort of the story on uh, why we've seen a little bit of a rally to start the year uh, as we look at that steel industry and sort of uh, those growing regulatory reforms in China, both in terms of safety and the environment. But that pretty much wraps up our news, notes, and commodity updates for the week. So let's head on over to the Geology Corner with Leslie Stokes and her interview with legendary northern miner cartoonist John Kilburn. As mentioned, we just released an anthology of all his works that's a must-check out for anyone who's involved in the industry and anyone who likes a good laugh. Uh, Leslie will sit down with John to talk a little bit about his influences and where he draws his ideas from for his cartoons, as well as his experiences in the industry. Uh, as noted at the onset of the show, John will be at the Vancouver Resource investment conference on the Sundays doing a book signing I believe at our booth uh, Leslie will knock out the details for you during her segment but don't miss that you might even be able to pick up a copy of the book down at the show uh, so yeah let's get right on into that uh, it's a great little segment with Leslie and John that runs about 10 minutes I will be back after the break and we'll do a little NAFTA deep dive Leslie Stokes, writer and geologist with the Northern Miner, and you're listening to this week's edition of the Geology Corner. And I actually am joined by someone very special today. I have John Kilburn in the office. John is the Northern Miner's resident cartoonist. You probably came across some of his work while you're going through our paper. And um, we're here to talk about his wonderful new book, The Art and Humor of John Kilburn, which basically puts together all of his cartoons in a 262-page copy. And that's available to purchase online. John, how are you today? I'm very well. Thank you, Leslie. I'm super happy to have you here because um, I've never really kind of gone through all of your cartoons in one sitting. And when I received it in the mail, just before Christmas, I was like laying in my bed and I was hooting and hollering at some of these cartoons. Like they are just the funniest. And I feel like they depict the mining engineer, the prospector, the geologist, the situation, the stories that kind of really define our industry so well. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, Pierre Lassonde actually had a really great introduction. And I'm not sure if you read this yet. I have, yes. You have, yeah. And he kind of sums it up really nice. He's like, a cartoon like music has a universal language. Wherever one goes in the world, whatever languages are spoken, cartoons can be found in the open press or the underground press. Because telling the truth is the funniest joke in the world. <laughs> How well spoken. <laughs> yeah. And then, but when, when did, because you only really draw cartoons on the resource industry. Yes. So when did that start? Can you give me a little story? So that was um, night, June, mid, I guess it was summer, mid-1993. There was a, a, a cartoon in the paper. When I opened it up one day, I was working, of course, at the Northern Miner at the time, and I opened up the paper, and there's a cartoon in here. I 
guess I thought, wow, I, I can do that. I can make a funnier cartoon than this one. So uh, <laughs> the next week I, uh, I sent a cartoon into uh, the then editor of the Northern Miner, Olaf Spella, and uh, he ran it. And from then on, I kept sending in cartoons. Yeah, so. Wow, so that's how you became the Northern Miner's resident exactly, cartoonist. Yes. And when you left the Northern Miner, you obviously continued. Yep. So, um, so I left in 96 uh, to become a mining analyst at uh, a brokerage term firm in Vancouver. And yes, kept uh, sending in cartoons. Right. I love drawing cartoons. <laughs> and they're so funny. What do you find the funniest thing about the resource industry and all of its characters? What do you find so interesting about it? Oh, that's just so diverse. So many opportunities for uh, for for making fun. <laughs> <laughs> like the promoter who's over promoting or uh, the geologist who sees the glass as always half full and the engineer who sees it as half empty. Um, <laughs> yes, there's lots of uh, lots of material there that presents itself. Yeah. And what do you reckon what would be some of your favorite cartoons in your memory? Ah, oh, favorite cartoons. Um one of my favorites is a recent one. It's the, uh, the cartoon with uh, four moose sitting around a boardroom table and uh, a human at the head of the table. And uh, uh, I think one of the moose is looking at his watch and another one's maybe drinking a cup of coffee. And the uh, human at the head of the table says, uh, I'm trying to run a mining company here and all you guys are bringing me is moose pasture. <laughs> so that's one of Because it's so true. <laughs> and another favorite was the Las Cristinas cartoon where someone is buying a, buying a llama and uh, the llama is offered for $800 and uh, the guy gets his wallet out to pay and the llama salesman says, oh no, it's $1,200. So okay, it looks like it's a nice llama. So the, he's about to hand over the $1,200 and, oh, now it's $1,500. And uh, the guy asks, why do you keep raising the price? And the llama salesman says to him, well, this is not just any kind of llama. This is a Pasqua llama. Oh. Which, of course, is da, reference da, da, da. To, uh, <laughs> to how that project kept going over budget. Mm. Uh, I see. So, yeah, and that's so cool about these stories is that it's almost like a double entendre where it's like it has double meaning. You can look at something, but yep. it's actually telling something eventful that's happening in the resource industry. So that cartoon, you would have to know the, the industry to, to get it. So, yeah. Yes. So when you explain that kind of cartoon to some people, they would... Goes over their heads. <laughs> so I have a friend uh, who in the 90s... Uh, non-mining person uh, worked downtown this was back when the northern miner was available in the uh, newsstands and he would go out of his way to pick up a northern miner turn to page 5 check to see if one of my cartoons was in there if it was then he would close up the paper put it back and then he when he got home he'd call me up and ask me to explain it just because he knew <laughs> it would it wouldn't work over the phone. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, um, that's another reason for um, our listeners to pick up a copy of this book for themselves. They can just step through it and see the images and read the stories themselves and have a good old laugh. So when it comes to um, these cartoons, like what's there, I noticed that they're divided into different decades, which is kind of cool because we know it's a cyclical industry and we know that, um, you know, certain themes kind of go on during these, during these cycles. I was really noticing that cyclical theme when I was going through a bunch of old cartoons uh, because at some points it, the cartoon is referring to the market being really awful yeah. or metal presses being really down or metal presses being really up. I think one of the cartoons I was reading from, like, it was a while ago, was uh, noting how copper at $1.20 was, at that point, really high. So, um, yes, yeah. And so, uh, one of the cartoons in there, of course, is, the, is a miner on a black, with a blackboard in front of him uh, repeating, repeatedly writing out Metal prices are cyclical. Metal prices are cyclical. Metal prices are cyclical. <laughs> so we, yeah. we need to learn that over and over again in this industry. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. Did you find that there was any particular events that occurred since you started writing cartoons um, on the resource industry that you found most inspiring or got the most fodder for your fire? Most fodder was certainly Briex. Yes, yeah, yeah, I'd imagine. So... Yeah. Uh, also, Las Cristinas was one that just kept going and going and going and going and going. Las Cristinas, that's Crystal, Crystal that's X? That's Crystal X. In Venezuela, uh, In yeah. Venezuela, that's right. And Which is still was, going. And it's, it is still going. <laughs> there was news Amazing. out on it like yeah. yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know how many cartoons I did on that. Probably too many, but I just <laughs> couldn't help myself. From the lawsuits over it to the government trying to take it away, to uh, uh, really just amazing. And, yeah, still going. Yeah. So what do you, what do you look for, in, for inspiration these days? I guess I'm just reading news releases or watching someone doing a presentation. I was walking down Pender one day with a promoter and he, uh, we were talking about uh, the, his treasury, and he was quite upfront about it. And he jokingly said, uh, "Yeah, we're uh, we're pretty much cash free right now." And I thought to myself, "Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> that's a, that's a cartoon right there." So uh, I think a few few weeks later, uh, there was a cartoon about um, being cash free. <laughs> I don't know whether he noticed it or not. <laughs> That's great. Well, I know um, our listeners are, can definitely pick themselves up a copy. Um, you're going to be doing a book signing, I think, at the VIRC, Vancouver Investment Resource Conference, coming up here in Vancouver on January 21st. That's a Sunday between noon and 2 p.m. You're going to be at the Northern Miners booth, right? That is correct. Signing these books yep. and selling them away. They're, I think they're going for about $35. Um, but we're only going to have actually a limited number. We're going to have about, I think, 20. And so I was told that it's best for people to buy it online. So go to our website, check it out, um, order it online. I know I ordered a whole bunch 
for people, and I got it. Because um, they're running out. They're running out. That's right. Yeah. I think we should have numbered them, and I would have been like, Bitcoin. <laughs> we could have called a secondary market maybe on the... If we'd numbered the covers, and we could have called a secondary market on the book. Yeah. <laughs> even worth about five grand a book right now. Yeah, six grand, seven grand, <laughs> 10,000. Yeah, so um, definitely get your copy before we do run out. I, I, I know that we'll probably be reprinting them. This is, this is a keepsake, and it's something that I think that everybody in this industry needs to have a copy of because the, the history in here and the humor is just brings me so much happiness, John. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it really, really does. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to seeing you at the VARC, um, I guess, in a couple of weeks. Great. Thank you, Leslie. back on into studio thanks again to leslie and john for swinging by to talk about a very unique perspective on our business in terms of satire and comics uh, and how that can sort of capture some of the larger than life characters and events we see so often in mining so do not hesitate to check out john's uh, anthology book we put together it's absolutely a screaming hoot uh, as noted he will be at the virc on the sunday the vancouver resource investment conference to do a book signing so do swing by you might be able to score yourself a copy now let's dig on into our nafta update and primer as promised because I did receive uh, as noted an email from a listener uh, asking about the potential outcomes and impacts of the NAFTA negotiations uh, on the uh, natural resource and mining industry specifically Uh, and then lo and behold Bank of Montreal sends me a massive like 30 or 40 page note on the subject the next day apparently BMO is reading my emails but uh, thank you once again to the awesome economics team at BMO for sending this on through I will chat a little bit about uh, where those negotiations are and some of the major issues uh, that have come up between Mexico the US and Canada uh, BMO notes that they view an abrupt termination of the current NAFTA negotiations as a potential cause for disruption in 2018. Uh, these talks are scheduled to come back into focus uh, in the coming weeks as the uh, next round of negotiations are scheduled for January 23rd through 28th in Montreal. Uh, BMO explains that much of the disagreements arise from de- demands from the U.S. administration that represent a sharp departure from the text and spirit of the existing degree- agreement. Uh, so these demands include uh, the ending of the dispute settlement mechanism a sunset clause that would require ratification of the treaty every five years and radical changes to govern procurement rules. Uh, And a lot of uh, commentators and things have said that a lot of the demands coming out of the states are pretty much no-goes for Canada and Mexico. Uh, You've uh, heard the discussions on a potential bilateral agreement between uh, Mexico and Canada as well as a whole host of other potential outcomes should these negotiations break down. But let's dig a little bit into the numbers here because BMO notes the, the quote, trade volumes involved are unquestionably large. Analyst Brian Belsky estimates Canadian and Mexican export exposures to NAFTA total $280 billion or 18% of the Canadian GDP and $320 billion or 21% of the Mexican GDP compared to $500 billion for the U.S. That's only 3% of the U.S. GDP. Uh, BMO notes will the immediate impact will be a net negative for Canada, real GDP up to 1% smaller every five years. Uh, analyst Doug Porter and the economics team note that Canadian policy is unlikely to be static. Uh, potential Canadian changes could include looser monetary policy, a weaker Canadian dollar, uh, BMO estimates around 5%, uh, negotiation of new trade agreements, and an eventual adjustment of fiscal policy. Uh, the le- impact is less critical to the U.S., uh, which would experience maybe 0.2% net reduction in GDP over five years. 
so BMO's sort of uh, assuming a middle of the road, uh, what they call a quote unquote bad but not worst case scenario uh, to the NAFTA negotiations, where the former Canada US free trade agreement is not revived and all parties revert to World Trade Organization level tariffs. So let's update everyone on WTO tariffs. The average tariff applied by WTO members stands at 9%, whereas the average bound rate is as high as 39%. So WTO members' tariffs are of two types bound rates, the ceiling rates as listed in members' schedules or lists of commitments, and the applied rates, the rates members currently charge, which can be lower than the bound rates. Uh, so uh, we'd be looking at sort of uh, that sort of mechanism for the Canada and the U.S. under the BMO model, uh, which, uh, you know, as we said, uh, it has a, a more of an, a steep impact on, obviously, Canada and Mexico than the United States. Furthermore, BMO provides a list of sectors that it, quote, judges to be the most vulnerable, and those include the transportation equipment industry, clothing and textiles, and food and beverages. Well, the Ontario economy has been deemed the most vulnerable due to its integration with the U.S. Uh, so uh, in terms of industrials, uh, direct impact to Canadian Caterpillar dealers likely limited. Uh, weaker Canadian dollar would likely have a greater impact on new equipment prices. Uh, so uh, some things that we see there, though, uh, I will note that uh, I did like a, a, one of those fine searches on this giant document for mining. And I'm like, OK, well, let's see where the mining section is. There's one little paragraph uh, in this entire 40 page report on mining and oil gas and it reads as follows we have not included commentaries for mining or oil and gas given the lack of quote discernible impacts under any of the described scenarios uh and then they add that uh, the economy in ontario is uh, the most integrated and likely the most vulnerable so uh not a lot uh, in there on uh to answer our listeners questions on uh, the potential impacts on uh, mining and the oil and gas industry in terms of the nafta negotiations but you know what I will get a guest. We're going to get a guest. Uh, we'll find an economist for you that's uh, uh, an international public policy economist or something along those lines to talk a little bit about the potential impacts on Canada's natural resource sector uh, in terms of NAFTA. So uh, that's just a little bit of a quick primer on where we are, where it might go, uh, and some possible scenarios. BMO even notes in their uh, big research letter that uh, these are all pretty hypothetical scenarios. We don't actually know what's going to happen, but uh, keep your eye on the news uh, for the uh, revisiting of those NAFTA negotiations in Montreal, uh, which is uh, happening, as we noted, uh, January 23rd through 28th. So that's coming right on up. And now for a quick word from our weekly sponsor, McEwen Mining, courtesy of Executive Chairman Rob McEwen. McEwen Mining is a diversified gold miner with three producing assets in the Americas. McEwen Mining trades under the ticker symbol MUX on the Toronto and New York stock exchanges. So let's drop on in for a quick word with Executive Chairman Rob McEwen. There are three projects I really like. One was a purchase we just made in October, and that's the purchase of the Black Fox complex up in Timmins. Black Fox we purchased from Primero. It came with a producing mine that this year will produce 50,000 ounces. It came with 1.2 million ounces in measured indicated and another 200,000 in inferred. We're exploring, we'll probably scale back our production a bit. It reminds me a lot of the Red Lake mine when I was building Gold Corp. Exploration is what made Gold Corp the story it was. We also had a strike that lasted 46 months that allowed us the freedom to explore in a mine that was better than 
40 years old without exploration people having to compete with the operations people for air and access. We didn't produce an ounce of gold during the labor strike. Gold Corp would not have become the company it was if we hadn't had four years to just hit that mine really hard with exploration. And welcome on back. So uh, if you'd like more information on McEwen Mining, once again, MUX on the New York and Toronto stock exchanges, please head over to McEwenMining.com to check out their most recent corporate materials and press releases. So just to wrap up our show for the week, let's head on over to my chat with Anthony Griffiths, who is the Fleet Electrification Product Manager for McLean's Engineering. Uh, This is the final in our series of Progressive Mine Forum interviews, our sponsor spotlight for the week, which is sponsored, loyal listener. Uh, But this is a really interesting chat on uh, the implications and applications of battery-powered mining equipment. So we'll talk a little bit about uh, Gold Corp's Borden project, the role of Glencore, uh, and what McLean's has learned in terms of uh, what battery-powered equipment can do in mines, specifically underground mines, uh, right now and moving ahead. So this is another really interesting chat. Um, But yeah, that'll pretty much, as mentioned, wrap up the show for the week. So once again, I have been Matthew Keewell. Thank you so much for joining us, loyal listener. Do consider hopping by northernminer.com, hitting that subscribe button. But uh, I will keep bringing you uh, the most exclusive interviews in the business as we move ahead into 2018. And hopefully I will see you on the floor of the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference and AMEBC's Roundup. Talk to you next week. Welcome back. This is Matthew Kiefel, and we are in downtown Toronto at the Northern Miners Progressive Mine Forum. Uh, This is the next in our interview series. I'm joined with Anthony Griffiths, uh, Product Manager, Mining Division, Fleet Electrification at McLean. Thanks for joining us, Anthony. Morning. Morning. Thanks for having me. Um, so I'm excited. We get to talk about battery-powered vehicles. We were just having a little chat off air. Um, but uh, yeah, let's uh, let's dig into it. Uh, obviously, this is a big topic in terms of uh, underground mining, uh, in terms of ventilation, uh, and uh, just generally being a bit more sustainable, I think, and safer. Um, so, uh, Anthony, why don't we dig in a little bit uh, to McLean's electrified fleet um, and sort of uh, talk a little bit about the implications for electrified vehicles in underground mining. Sure. Yeah. Well, um, uh, on behalf of McLean and I think we've been in business for about 40 years and we're fairly well known in the in the, the mining industry and about two years ago our owner was approached by a company that was having some issues with uh, ventilation restrictions and asked if we could uh, look into what it was we could do to help them out and uh, that's what sort of started the ball rolling and, and it's been rolling fast ever since. We've, uh, we've been very fortunate to come out with uh, a good collaboration of uh, suppliers and our engineering department has put together a good product and we're out in the market now with with what we feel is industry-leading fleet solution for battery equipment. 
And uh, you, you reference um, you know some challenges that uh, some of maybe some of your clients have have brought to you in terms of of why this technology was developed. You mentioned ventilation and stuff like that. Um, maybe digging into a little bit more color on 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 why um, you want to get diesel out of underground mines, outside of the maybe obvious reasons. But uh, what uh, what sort of um, what sort of upside miners can see from electrified fleets? Well, I, I think what started the conversation was as with all the easy ore bodies being found. Uh, companies have had to go deeper and with that comes the challenges of going deeper underground you have the heat you have the ventilation you have any number of things but but again one of the big benefits I see is the reduction of the diesel particulate from the exhaust uh, all miners anybody that's been underground knows what it's like uh, in that environment and to remove that I think provides an enormous amount of benefits to the miners themselves to the companies economically and I think overall we're all going to benefit from that. And in terms of sort of implementing these ideas and, and getting these fleets up and running, what are some of the challenges McLean has encountered in terms of, of moving into that, that segment of the market? I think uh, the initial challenge was uh, in teaming up with the right customer to move forward with the, with the battery. I think uh, a couple of companies, Gold Corp and Glencore, were very uh, proactive and, and uh, certainly Gold Corp with the Borden project got us going and um, I think that's opened the doors. That was the biggest challenge to, to you can design anything but if nobody wants to try it or buy it yeah. you know you, you're stuck with a great product but never leaves your shop. Um, so with that uh, I, I, I see the miners being very proactive and wanting to see what else is out there, wanting to see what it, how they can innovate, how they can do things differently. And uh, that, that's a big change that I've seen in the industry. And how, how, wh wh how long is, do you think they've been sort of looking maybe at being more innovative? When I think this has come uh, since the last downturn. I think everybody's been challenged with commodity prices. You have the aging workforce, it's harder to get skilled people. There's a whole number of things that all seem to come together, give you that perfect storm. And I think a lot of the mining companies looked at it and said, we just need to do something different. We need to look at other ways of doing this. and. Uh, and I think, I think it's pretty exciting. I've been in the mining business for 23 years, which is a blip compared to some people. But um, I've, I've seen a really big change in the way mining companies want to deal with their suppliers. And they're bringing us into the picture a lot sooner to help them out. And uh, so it's an exciting time, exciting time. And, and the other sort of word we hear a lot is collaboration, obviously, and integration. Um, and, and obviously, at a, at a mindset, you're working with a number of other suppliers. You're working with a mining company, a manager, et cetera. Um, is, is there an issue sort of with standardization and, and, and sort of getting all these pieces to work together? I think that that's one of the challenges is that uh, um, you know one company supplies every type of uh, vehicle. Um, so you're always working with two or three OEMs mm -hmm. uh, as part of the delivery package for the mining cycle. So it's, we, we've, we've been working with other OEMs to, to fit in and, and uh, service each other's vehicles, that kind of stuff. So it's, uh, it's a little bit of a new era in that regard. It's, they're not seen quite as uh, competitively as maybe they had been in the past, mm -hmm. but we all realize that we got to further we move the ball down the field together, better, better it is for all of us. So. 
and, and it's funny you mentioned that it's sort of the challenge was, was getting the miners on side. Um, but uh, you mentioned a little bit about it, but it, there has been sort of a maybe a change in mentality for them with collaboration as well in, in that regard. I, yeah, I think that they've come to the conclusion as well that they want to do something different. And part of that is they don't make equipment, they don't provide the service, they don't do this. They can't do it all, so they, they're, they're asking us to come in much sooner in the process and have a look and see what we can bring to the table. Uh, do we have a solution? Are we working on a solution? What are we working on next? Those kinds of questions. So it's, it's uh, again, it's interesting because you certainly learn a lot more about the inner workings and, and, and of the mine and, and their specific challenges. So it's, it's been, again, it's been really exciting ride last two years. And Anthony, it's interesting you mentioned one sort of common theme I've heard throughout the day and that's labor. Um, and the aging workforce, um, and, and so from from McLean point of view, um, sort of what do you how do you look at getting workers, maintaining workers for this next generation of technology? Well, it's uh, it's certainly uh, uh, something we have to be aware of with the people aging. I mean, I'm certainly no spring chicken, so they're going to they'll be constantly looking. We, we've got quite a proactive uh, human resources group that goes out to the universities, Queens, and all the other universities that supply uh, uh, mining skilled, potentially skilled people for the industry, uh, colleges, that kind of stuff. So we're always out there in the job fairs looking and trying to make people aware that it's it's still a thriving great <laughs> sector to be in and uh, give it a look. McLean's already has a bit of a global footprint. We've, we've got operations in Australia, uh, South America, Latin America, uh, Argentina. Peru, Chile, Mexico, we have a couple branches in Mexico. So it's just a natural progression that our battery fleet will make its way out there. Um, initially all the demand seems to have come from Canada, specifically Ontario, mm -hmm. um, but I think that that's only a matter of time before we see that adopted in other big mining camps with other customers. And, and the Canadian companies that are headquartered maybe in Canada are, are doing a good job of letting everybody know that this technology is there. And, and pushing it. We've had inquiries from Argentina and Peru, uh, quoted units in Mexico, so I think it's coming. And one of the other things we sort of talk about obviously is digitalization and, and this sort of big data drive. Yeah. And uh, is, 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 as McLean, if we look at it sort of more from an internal point of view, how has all this changed the way you, you run your do and do your business? Well, it's certainly uh, opened a lot of eyes as to what the customers are looking for. And um, we've got a dedicated product manager that's just in charge of digital services now. Mm -hmm. We, with the battery equipment that I can speak to directly, it, you know, it produces lines and lines of code for every minute of operation. So to capture that data and turn it into useful information for the mines and for us to find out how the machine's functioning and what it can do better, uh, when you have to service it, when you have to maintain it. Like I think we've only scratched the surface when it comes to that. I think, I think that'll be the next big quantum step with all that digital information. Mm -hmm. um, so we're really looking forward to playing a part in that. And we're kind of preparing for that because yeah. we, we see that that's coming. And the other sort of uh, issue, we mentioned it sort of in passing obviously, was, was you're getting deeper. Uh, it's getting hotter, it's getting more difficult to mine. Um, the other thing people talk about is advancement rates obviously, and it's like how, how fast can you get an ore body into production? Can we shorten this time horizon? Yeah. The big challenge mining's had since the yeah. beginning. Um, so I'm wondering if there's anything coming down the pike or anything that you've seen that could maybe help with, with that. Well, we're certainly looking at it because our machines always play a, again, we don't supply every specific mm -hmm. mining cycle, but we do 
provide roof bolters and, and uh, secondary reduction machines and all that. So we play a role in the mining cycle. Um, I think what we have to be aware of is that if one type of machinery moves faster than the rest can move along with it, mm -hmm. you're really not getting any benefit. Mm -hmm. The whole cycle, drill, blast, muck, haul, you know, all that has to be done in conjunction with one another because it's no sense in having the fastest car if you can't. Yeah. So that's that's one of the things I can see a bit more collaboration coming with companies and OEM working together to increase that that uh, mining site. Sort of an end-to-end -end focus, not yeah. not not yeah. point point solutions, as they say. I think so. Uh, well, once again, this has been Anthony Griffiths, Project Manager, Mining Division, Fleet Electrification at McLean Engineering. Thanks for joining us, Anthony. Great, thanks. thanks.